0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Again, you can be a part of the Light of Moon Christmas offering on a Christmas Eve, so be in prayer about that. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for the chance to study the truth of your word. Lord, we've had um, an opportunity now to sing praises and, and to pray and to give, Lord. And I pray that we would just continue the worshipful spirit and the worshipful mindset, Lord, as we open the truth of your word. I pray you speak very clearly to us, Father. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray you'd be honored and glorified by all the things we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want to begin this morning by reading aloud, and I want all of us to do this, the first 13 verses of the book of John chapter 1. I think we have these on the screen. We've been studying now this passage of Scripture for the last several weeks. We're going to continue that study this morning, but I want you to read it along with me right off the screen through verse 13. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, we've worked our our way up to this point through these passages of Scripture, and we've pointed out over the last several weeks the big picture of God's plan we said very clearly that the birth of Christ wasn't some anomaly. It wasn't something that happened last minute. It wasn't as if the Lord just one day woke up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to send Jesus to earth to die on the cross for the sins of the people. Instead, what we see is from eternity past, a plan that God would redeem His people back to Himself. And now in our study we've come to what I kind of consider the, the pinnacle. <laughs> it's the high point of this passage of Scripture, and it's the reason we celebrate Christmas. After thousands of years, after an eternity past of planning, as Galatians 4 says, the time had fully come, and God sent His Son. And now we'll read this morning, John chapter 1, verse 14. We have it on the screen. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God becomes man. The invisible becomes visible. The eternal enters time. The creator of the universe stepped down out of heaven and walked among us. God incarnate, incarnate, Emmanuel. And when you think about it and you try to understand it, it's stunning, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine the creator of the universe deciding that he wants to live among us? It's the reason we celebrate Christmas. It's the reason we celebrate life. It's kind of the, the essence of all we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to camp out for a little while this morning on this verse because there's so many things we could say, there's so many things we need to understand that I want to spend a little time walking through to better understand why Christ came and to help us see all that Christ can accomplish. And so here's truth number one. Truth number one from John chapter 1 verse 14. Jesus Christ became a man to demonstrate his love for us. Jesus Christ became a man to demonstrate his love for us. Now, there are lots of important passages of Scripture in the Bible. In fact, an interesting exercise would be to kind of sit down and talk through, maybe with your family or Sunday school class or group of friends, say something like this. Listen, why don't you name your top five Bible verses? What are they? If you had to name the top five maybe if I said to you what are the most important in all the scripture what are the top five you'd mention and there are lots of great ones some of you would say what's well, Genesis 1 in the beginning God and you kind of follow up with that others would say well my favorite and I think the most important is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what eternal life Others will say, no, I, I think it's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And, and on and on the list could go, and we could all name our favorites, and maybe the ones we think are most important. But of all the important passages of Scripture in the Bible, of all the important verses, no other phrase captures the essence and the simplicity of what Christ did than John 1, 14. So here's what you need to understand about this passage of Scripture. If Christ had not come to earth and taken on flesh, no, nothing else would have mattered. None of the other stories would have been important. All the things we think about and all the neat stories that we tell and all the Scriptures that we read, if Christ hadn't come to earth and given His life on the cross, none of those other things would have mattered. And so we see a passage of Scripture here that tells us of a God that loved us so much that He stepped down out of heaven and He became a man in order to demonstrate His love for us. Now there's a couple of ideas I want you to get from this main passage from this main point. There's a couple of things we need to understand and kind of delve into to understand exactly what Christ accomplished. The first one is this. Jesus, we see from Scripture, is the eternal God. That's very important to understand. Now, we've already studied the fact in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We, we read this several weeks ago, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see the idea of the eternal nature of Christ. We see also that Christ was fully God. Now, we can make this argument in other parts of Scripture. In fact, if you were kind of walking through Scriptures that explain that Jesus was the eternal God, that He was fully God, you would read verses like John chapter 10, verse 30. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Maybe you'd read John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas, after doubting Jesus and seeing the resurrected Christ, said, my Lord and my God. 1 John chapter 5. We know also that the Son of Man has come and given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. On and on the list goes the scripture that talk about Christ being eternal and Christ being fully God. But maybe the most interesting and the one that's kind of my favorite is John chapter 8. In fact, Jesus is speaking to his followers he makes this very interesting statement, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now those of you that remember the story of the Old Testament, I'm going to talk about it here in just a second, will remember that Moses had kind of gotten this revelation from the Lord. The Bible says that Moses was walking and tending to his sheep, and the Lord came and spoke to Moses through the burning bush, and the Lord says to Moses, Listen, I want you to go into Egypt, I want you to rescue the people that are in slavery, that are in captivity. And Moses begins to question the Lord. Lord, who am I, right? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? And he says in Exodus chapter 13, as he's speaking to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now when Jesus makes that claim in John chapter 8, the people that heard Jesus would have made that connection directly, right? You understand that. They would have remembered the story of Moses. They would have remembered the story of the Exodus. They would have made that connection. And we would expect them in John chapter 8 after Christ claims to be Lord to do something about it. And that's exactly what we see in John eight fifty nine. at this, right? After Jesus says, I am, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. See, the, the Bible's clear. On and on we could go, on. I just want to make sure we just kind of hammer this home because there are people in our world that deny the deity of Christ, right? There are people that say Jesus wasn't truly God. He was a good man, and he was a prophet, and maybe he was a teacher, and there are things we can learn from it, but he wasn't truly God. That's what people will say. Well, we need to affirm that Jesus was a good man. We need to affirm that Jesus was prophetic. We need to understand and affirm that he was a good teacher. But he was so much more than that. He was fully God. And this becomes important for us in our understanding this morning because he was fully God. He had all the attributes of God. And even though he was eternal and omnipotent and all the things we can talk about as far as the attributes of God are concerned, he decided... Because he loved us so much that he wanted to step down out of heaven and become flesh. That's stunning. I don't know about you, but even as I, even as I say it right now, it's almost like I'm, I'm ready to move past it. And how can we move past the creator of the universe coming into this world and living among us? And how can we move past that, that, that love and that grace and that mercy? You know, John doesn't just say that he looked like a man. I think this is just an interesting way he phrased this. He doesn't say he just kind of pretended to be a man. The Bible says that he became flesh. His muscles ache just like yours do after a long, hard day. When he cut himself, he would bleed just like you would. When they beat him, they beat his back, and it was sore just like yours would be. When he died, his heart stopped beating. Jesus Christ is this perfect mixture. He's fully God, yet He's fully man. One writer said it like this, He's forever wedded with our flesh. Now let's take it a step farther because here's what some of you are thinking. That's great. Great. I I knew most of that. You're you're, you're reaffirming that. You've kind of bagged that up scripturally now, so I've got a better understanding at least of that idea. But so what? What? So Jesus was fully God, Jesus was fully man, he came to the earth. What does that mean for me? Here's what it means for you. It means that the creator of the universe isn't some distant God that doesn't care about you. It means he loved you enough to come to this earth and die on the cross for your sins. Had a conversa- I had two different conversations this week, back to back. You know how the Lord does sometimes. The Lord just kind of reminds you of things. And I didn't even put it together. It was early in the week until I was really studying for this. And I started thinking through it. I had two different people back to back in my office this week on the same day. One right after the other. They came into my office and sat in my office and told me how the Lord specifically was speaking to them clearly about something they needed to do. Not this nebulous, I don't know, is God real? It just a clear... I mean, what I was like, here's what the Lord said. He just told me the phrase... Another one said, I'm kind of of struggling with some things. I I used to believe that God was kind of like the the creator that created and then he just kind of set everything in motion, kind of the deist approach, like the great watchmaker in the sky. I used to believe that, he said, but a few months ago, the Lord woke me up one morning very clearly and he said, the Lord said to me, you need to find me. And he said, so I'm looking right now. What, What an incredible picture of the incarnation of Christ. Man, we don't serve a God that doesn't care about us. We serve a God that came down out of heaven and walked among us and bled and died for us. See, here's how the scripture explains it God demonstrates his love for us, and this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you. I'm I'm going to be very transparent with you just for a few minutes if I could. I don't know about you, but I, I, I talk a lot about love with my children and my wife, and I do love them as you love your family. But if I were very honest with you and if I'm very honest with myself, there are times when I claim to love them but don't love them in the way that I should, right? I become selfish or greedy or sinful. You name it, I've done it. You have too. And we talk about love and we claim love and yet if we're honest with ourselves there are moments in our lives where we don't fully love as we should. The beautiful thing about Christ is that His love never fails. He didn't just claim love for you. He demonstrated it. I love how one scholar just kind of summarizes it. Here's what he says. God doesn't just reveal things about Himself. He reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. The incarnation speaks to us of a God who acts to demonstrate His love for us. God loved us so much that He became flesh. But it's interesting what John does here because it doesn't stop there. It's not enough for Christ just to become flesh. He could have kind of become flesh and stayed in heaven. He could have become flesh and kind of floated around and just looked at us. He could have become flesh and kind of become this earthly king and lived above us and just kind of looked down upon us like His servants. But that's not what the Scripture says. Look at verse 14 again. The Word became flesh, and what did He do? Bring it up. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. Do you understand that? Here's truth number two that I want you to see this morning. Jesus lived among us. To comfort us in our suffering. Jesus lived among us to comfort us in our suffering. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago kind of this big picture of Scripture. and I I just love kind of thinking about that and talking about that and telling stories. Anytime I get the opportunity, I like to explain that to people. But the Bible, if you've never heard me say it, the Bible is not 66 individual books that kind of are random and don't fit together. It's one continuous story. You understand that? written by over 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years, and yet we just see this pattern. We see this thread that kind of runs really from the beginning all the way through the end. It's a plan of redemption. It's a plan of Christ. It's a plan of love and mercy and grace. And so if you were to study through, you'd see in Genesis 1 and 2, God, the Bible says God created everything and it was good. No sin, no sickness, no disease. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world and everything changes. The Bible talks about how the, how the creation groans, the pain of the creation because of the sinfulness of humans. And then John chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter four, moving forward. It's this beautiful picture of the redemption. It's a picture of God's plan to buy back people. It's God's plan to send Christ to, to live for them. It's a picture of, of God understanding the sinfulness of humans. And it's a picture of God doing something about it, demonstrating His love for us, stepping down onto earth and living among us to comfort us during our suffering. One of the interesting parts of God's plan was for the children of Israel. Now, some of you know this story, but I'm going to recount it because it ties directly to John chapter 1. I want you to follow with me just for a second. So part of God's plan for eternity and part of God's plan for His people and for the Israelites specifically was to rescue them from slavery. And so the Lord calls Moses and he says, Listen, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. That's the passage we read a few minutes ago. Moses says, I am that I am has sent me. But as the Lord speaks through Moses and sends Moses, and then of course he sends the ten plagues. Eventually the Pharaoh sends the the children of Israel out from Egypt into the wilderness and he parts the Red Sea and he provides food and you know the stories. But as they're living in the wilderness, the Lord says to Moses, Listen, I want you to build a tent. I want you to build a tabernacle that would eventually become the temple. And in this tent and in this tabernacle, it's going to be kind of like a meeting place. And the Lord says, I'm going to reside there. That's going to be where I'm going to live. And we see in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, the Lord speaking. Have them, speaking to Moses, make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Now he begins to lay out this plan as you walk through Exodus. He begins to give some specifics about what this sanctuary ought to look like and how it ought to work. And in Exodus 33, we read Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. So he would just set up this tent literally outside the camp. And anyone inquiring of the Lord, I want you to watch this, would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went outside to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Remember, the Lord demonstrated his glory with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That's how the people would see him. The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance of the tent while Moses spoke with the Lord, verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they understood and worshipped each at the entrance to their own tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now here, here's the connection we need to make. It's very interesting to me. In the Old Testament, the Lord said, Build a tent, set it among the people. I'm going to come and reside in the tent. I'm going to live in the tent. If people want to speak to me, they walk into the tent. When Moses wanted to hear from the Lord, he went into the tent, and the people would literally see the cloud or the fire descend upon the tent, and they would know that the presence of the Lord was there. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you study John chapter 1, verse 14... And the Bible tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That literal word there dwelling. If you were to translate it, it means to set up a tent. So there's this sense here the people that would read John chapter 1 that understood Jewish history. They would see this direct connection to the Old Testament. They would see this direct connection to the glory of the Lord coming into the tent and living among the people. And just as in the Old Testament where the tabernacle and the tent and eventually the temple was kind of the the center of Jewish life and everything rotated around that, Christ in the New Testament becomes the glory of God and everything rotates around that. you understand the connection there? The Lord says, I'm going to send Christ to dwell among you, just as he did in the Old Testament. I'm going to send Christ to live among you. I'm going to send Christ to kind of come and live in your neighborhood. And just as the glory of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the tent of meetings and the tabernacle was the center of everything that the Jewish people did in the Old Testament, so Christ, believer, should become the center of everything you do in the New Testament. You should speak to Him. You should love Him. You should live for Him. One scholar explains it like this. By alluding to such themes, John may be telling his readers that God manifested himself most clearly when the Word became flesh. The incarnate Word is the true glory, the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God among human beings, for this Word became a man. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he wanted to step down in this earth and demonstrate his love to us and walk with us as we suffer. Now, I still have young children. Many of you have young children. or You remember the days when you had young children. And with young children, we still, we still deal with the bad dreams or the thunderstorm in the middle of the night. Moms and dads, you remember that? You're going through it now, some of you, right? A thunderstorm rolls around or somebody has a bad dream and they wake up. You've been there, Right? And at 2.30 in the morning, in the middle of a sound sleep, you're awoken by somebody crying in the house. And if you're like Amy and I, you know, you're kind of, who's going to go, you go, I go. It always ends up being me, that's fine, I like to go. <laughs> but there's sometimes when it's enough for me just to call out, right? So at 2.30 in the morning, I'm, you know, I hear the cry and I wake up and I listen for a second, who is that? And we name the child, this is what it is, it's thundering outside. Sometimes it's enough for me just to say, It's okay. Right? You kind of holler down the hall. It's okay. Just relax. Just cover back up. Roll back over. You're going to be fine. Mommy and daddy are right here. You're safe. It's just lightning. Just go back to sleep. Sometimes that's enough. But then there are other times when calling out isn't enough. And I call out a few times, and I try to comfort a couple times, and it's not enough. And at some point, if that's not good enough, what do I have to do? I get up out of bed, don't I? And I walk down the hall, and I go into their room, and I just kind of lay down with them. I just kind of hold them and snuggle with them. And all of a sudden, the world is safe, right? See, for many centuries, the Lord kind of called down. And He said, it's okay, you know, it's okay. I'm here here's the plan just trust me just just listen to me it's going to be okay and for some that was enough but there came a time in history when it wasn't good enough for the Lord just to call down he couldn't just yell down from heaven it's going to be okay and so in his absolute sovereignty and love and mercy he stepped down out of heaven and to use the analogy I just used he kind of just walked down the hall right right And he didn't just stop at the door and talk to us. He literally just came and grabbed us and loved us and held us and lived among us. And he says, I I love you so much, I'm willing to give all that for you. I love you so much, I'm willing to physically be present with you in your suffering. Because I want you to understand that I'm, I'm right here with you and I love you. And I care about you. And I've got great plans for you. Here's the interesting thing about this study. And we're going to see it here in just a second as we kind of wind this down. The glory of the Lord is displayed in so many different things. We're going to see that in just a second. But nowhere more clearly is it displayed than in Christ. Look at the end of verse 14 again. The Word became flesh, right? So God becomes man. He made His dwelling among us. He comes and lives with us, physically present with us. We have seen His glory. You see that? The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's point number three. Jesus Christ demonstrated the glory of God through His life. Jesus Christ demonstrated the glory of God through His life. Now you say, what is the glory of the Lord? We talk a lot about that. We could explain the glory of the Lord and do sermon series about the glory of the Lord. We could talk about His beauty. We could talk about His power. We could talk about His authority. We could talk about the story of Exodus and how the, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire led and covered. And we could talk about the story of creation and God's power when He created We could talk about, again, the story of the Exodus and the plagues and leading the children of Israel, and we could explain the glory of the Lord there. We could talk about 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel, one of my favorite stories. You you remember the story? The prophets of Baal, they're kind of having this competition. They build the altar. The prophets of Baal call out, and nothing happens, and Elijah comes, and he pours water over the altar, and the Bible says that it just covers the altar. It soaks into the wood. There's so much water that it runs down and kind of goes into a little trench that surrounds the altar. And Elijah comes and he prays to to the living God. And the Bible says that fire comes down and consumes the altar, burns up the wood, burns up the bull, and all the water is just licked up, right? That's the power of the Lord. That's the glory of the Lord. But there's nowhere greater... There's no more clear display of the glory of the Lord than in the life of Christ. If you want to understand the glory of the Lord, if you want to see the beauty of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord, you need to spend some time reading the life of Christ. John chapter 2 verse 11 tells us as we think about the story. You remember Christ's first miracles, turning the water to wine at the the wedding at Cana. You remember the story. Here's where the Bible tells us that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs or miracles through which He received His glory. See, the glory of the Lord was demonstrated in the way Christ lived. John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this speaking of Lazarus, this sickness will not end in death, no, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, Christ would sometimes let things happen, even allow people to die, so His glory could be revealed as He healed them. See, nowhere greater do we see the glory of the Lord than in the Son and in the way that He lived His life. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to do some very clear things scripturally. We could kind of make a list of all the things we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to live our lives. But if we wanted to kind of summarize it, if we wanted to make it easy, we could say something like this. Your calling as a follower of Christ is to make the glory of the Lord known to the world. That's kind of what we're called to do. Live your life in such a way that the glory of Christ is demonstrated to all that see. So, you say, I'm going to live my life in such a way that those that are around me will see the glory of the Lord through me. It's a very simple calling, but here's our problem. You ready for this? We're too busy trying to bring glory to ourselves to make Christ known, aren't we? We want people to think we're smart, we want people to think that we're successful. We want people to think we've got all the good ideas and we're so busy trying to grab that glory. We're so busy trying to glorify ourselves that we fail at glorifying the Lord. So we should spend our lives trying to figure out how we can make Christ known to all that come in contact with us. We had an interesting opportunity as we finished up our time in Africa to take a safari. And some of you were able to do that if you've been to Zambia. Some of you maybe have done that on your own. And we had a very interesting driver that drove us. He, he actually spoke the click language, you know. all the clay. It's very interesting. That, that language is very real. And I asked him to speak it for me. I wanted to hear it. I couldn't even make the sounds he was making with the mouth. It was very interesting. And so he drove us around in the safari. He drove us in this truck. And, and he took us to see a, a, a lot of neat things. And he, he had kind of one simple job that day. Every day he gets up and goes to work, he's got one simple job. His job is to take all these people on this truck and show them animals, right? That's what he's called to do. Had we gotten on that truck and driven around for eight hours and not seen a single animal, we probably would all have all been a little disappointed. And so what does he do? He, he, he studies these animals. Why? Because he wants to know where they are. It's a big area. We're not just driving down one little street here. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of acres in this reserve, So he studies these animals. He wants to know their habitat so he can understand where they're going to be in the morning. He wants to understand which ones are going to be down by the watering hole and which ones are going to be up on the ridge. He wants to understand which ones are going to be out early in the morning, which ones will be out later in the evening, which ones are going to be out in the afternoon. He studies these animals for one simple reason he wants to show us these animals. See, I I think as I kind of think through this analogy and I think through our life in Christ, that's kind of like we are with the Lord. We ought to be studying Christ. We ought to be understanding who He is. We ought to learn as much as we can in our walk with Him so we can show Him to other people. You understand that? I don't want to get to heaven one day and have to say to the Lord, "I, I never really demonstrated your glory or introduced Christ to anybody. I was too busy bringing glory to myself. That's not our calling in this life. That's not our calling for eternity. And that's not why Jesus Christ came. We're winding down this morning, so I want to finish by by reading the words of of a a great old song. We, We sang it last week in our musical. You've heard it a thousand times before, but I want to read just a couple of passages of this song to you as we finish up this morning. It's Hark the Herald Angel Sing, written 1739 by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley. I love it because the theology is just so rich. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate Deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. After thousands of years of anticipation, the day had finally come. God sent his son to walk this earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for your sins. I pray that this Christmas season, this week especially, that you would just experience the power of the Lord in ways that you haven't experienced Him before. I pray you'll see Him very clearly. But above all those things, I pray that Christ would be glorified in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for our time. Thank You for the opportunity of studying Your Word. Thank You for the the, the clear message that You always provide for us in the Scripture, Father. If we just take time to study it and pray through it, Lord, it's very understandable. So I pray right now that as we move into the week of Christmas, Father, that we just experience Your glory. We'd remember why You came. We'd remember your love and your mercy and your grace, the fact that you walk among us, Father, in our suffering. And I pray that in all things we would live our lives in such a way that Christ can be demonstrated through us. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple of minutes. If you want to pray at the altar, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ... Maybe you want to join this body of believers, but this is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.